Pat Stacker coming to you all the way from South Korea. That was Refuse to Lose by Nonfiction. And I too refuse to lose or give up. And I'm back joining you for another weekly Restack show. Remember that this show and my other podcast style show, The Silvercast with fellow YouTuber Silver Conundrum, is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts. SoundCloud and various other platforms. Links are in the description. You can tune in and support the show while you're on the go or wherever. I'm also considering to move this show from being released on Saturday morning to Saturday evenings or potentially even Sunday mornings in the US from now on. Uh, Moving the show could help me to have more time and to prepare and guarantee that it's more sustainable as well as help keep current events and financial news in your mind heading into the week ahead after you have had a chance to enjoy your weekend. I can't do community posts on YouTube, so if you're a regular listener to this show, please let me know your thoughts about moving this show from Saturday morning to Saturday evening or Sunday morning release time. If you're a returning listener, then welcome back, and if this is your first time joining the show, welcome. In this show, I summarize and review the news of the past week in the following format. First, we do a quick five-minute market recap of financial markets. Then, we do a five to ten-minute financial slash bullion-related news segment. After that, we move on to a few minutes of world news and current events, and we finish off the show with stacking community news and notes. I can't cover all the news, but I try to get to as much as I can. And my only objective here is to help keep anyone who wants to listen as informed as possible. I try to be as neutral and impartial as I can, although nothing is ever truly 100% impartial. I aim to give you the facts and information, and it's up to you to decide what you think about it. Please leave your thoughts, comments, criticisms, feedback, questions, and suggestions in the comments section. I do this show three weeks on, one week off, and this is my first week back from having last week off. So without further ado, let's get into this past week's news in the ninth weekly Restack show. In the metals markets, gold closed the week down about a quarter of a percent this week at $1,730.90. Silver took a hit this week compared to last week, finishing the week down by about 3.7% at $25.05. Platinum was down this week, finishing about 0.29% to the downside at $1,184 per ounce. Copper was also down this week under about 0.33% from last week to finish the week off at $4.08 per pound. Oil had a tumultuous week and finished the week down just under 1% compared to last week at about $60.69 per barrel. And there are a few really big stories 
that could affect oil prices later in the show as well as the global economy so make sure you stay tuned for that bitcoin is heading down into the weekend currently by just over seven and a half percent and is currently around just over fifty-four thousand dollars. ethereum is also down this week compared to last week by about four point one percent and is currently around one thousand seven hundred and five dollars xrp is up this week compared to last week by about nine and a half percent and is currently around 56 cents major wall street indices the dow and the s p 500 both rallied very late this week to avoid closing down with the dow closing up 1.7 percent this week and the s p 500 closing at just over one and a half percent this week Meanwhile, the NASDAQ, which also had a late week rally, did not fare as well this week, finishing down by about one and a quarter percent. And we also have some potentially big news coming up later in the show about Wall Street and the stock market. So definitely want to stay tuned for that as well. Asia Pacific markets were mostly flat this week with the Kospi in South Korea finishing this week up by 0.03% and Japan's Nikkei 225 down by about a half a percent. European markets finished mostly up this week, also with a late week rally up 1.4%. The US dollar was up this week by 0.73% and finished the week at the 92.722 handle. Investors around the world are rebalancing portfolios as progress towards reopening the global economy continues, but multiple unforeseen events over the past few weeks, including a global microchip shortage, the blockage of the Suez Canal, and sharply escalating geopolitical tensions have caught governments, investors, and businesses off guard. Let's turn now to precious metals and financial-related news. In an interesting comparison, which helps to put the often difficult to follow physical gold market flows into perspective, we take a look at two of the largest gold exchanges in the world. The Shanghai Gold Exchange and the COMEX accounted for nearly 2,000 tons of physical gold delivery in 2020 alone. Although the number has always been larger for China, the U.S. closed the gap sharply last year by having a nearly 400% increase in physical deliveries from the comics compared to the average for the previous decade. As we all know, 2021 has been another record year for gold and silver demand in the U.S. In another one of the largest gold markets in the world, India has seen a sharp recovery in net gold imports after the plummeted last year due to the pandemic. This is in part due to the recovery, but also in part due to uh, gold import taxes being slashed in India in recent months, as I reported on this show earlier this year. On Tuesday, March 23rd, the Ever Given, which is one of the world's largest cargo container ships and weighs nearly 200,000 tons, was blown off course by a strong wind gust while passing through the Suez Canal in Egypt. The hull of the ship, which is Japanese-owned and operated by a Taiwanese company called Evergreen Marine, was sailing from China to the Netherlands when the powerful gusts of wind caused the ship's hull 
to get lodged on the side of the canal and get stuck. This has created a blockage in the northern side of the canal called Port Said and the southern entrance at Suez. The vast majority of oil from the Middle East which is transported to Europe and the Americas passes through this canal. As a result, oil prices rose sharply on Thursday, March 25th. The Suez Canal is one of the world's busiest and most important trade routes with over 30% of all global trade passing through it annually. It's expected to take several weeks to dislodge the ship safely. There are trillions of dollars in insurance claims, fuel costs, toll fees, and delivery schedules at stake with this situation. According to maritime intelligence firm Lloyd's List, the daily cost of the blockage is at an estimated $9.6 billion per day. Ship owners are now having to make a difficult decision as to whether or not wait at anchor near the Suez Canal or to sail around the southern tip of Africa, which is an additional 3,500 nautical miles, tens of thousands of dollars in additional resources for the ships, and up to two additional weeks added on to delivery schedules to Europe. In a recent update to this story, the ship has been partially refloated and the US Navy is being called in to assess and assist with the operation to dislodge the ship. The S&P 500 Utilities Index has outperformed the broader market in the month of March this year, rising 9.3% so far compared with a 4.3% gain in the benchmark index. Driving the gains may be a defensive move by investors to position themselves against a potential slide in equities, with worries mounting over higher inflation as seen in the jump in 10-year treasury yields and overpricey stock valuations, some strategists say. Investors looking for ways to protect themselves for, from potential market downturn and rising inflation have been warming to utilities, which are sometimes seen as bond substitutes. Utilities tend to do better in a downturn because they pay dividends and offer stability. Joseph Quinlan, who is the CIO for market strategy at Merrill and Bank of America Private Bank in New York stated, we have some clients who want to be more defensive, but want to stay in the market. End quote. While the economy is expected to rebound sharply this year from the impact of the coronavirus, that optimism may be dampened by next year if unemployment remains elevated and growth slows more than expected. U6, which is often called the real unemployment number, is an unemployment measure that includes people who are not actively looking for work. This number is currently estimated to be over 11% in the United States and between 10 and 20% in Europe. Some investors say utilities also may be benefiting from hopes that there will be a bigger push toward green energy under the Biden administration. President Joe Biden is expected to unveil next week a multi-trillion dollar plan to rebuild America's infrastructure that may also tackle climate change. Quote, if you get any acceleration of the decarbonization rhetoric, that's a positive for utilities, said Shane Hurst, managing director and portfolio manager at Clearbridge Investments. 
The gains in utilities have come amid a rotation from technology and other growth stocks into value stocks. The NASDAQ composite has fallen in March after four straight months of gains. Cyclicals, which investors dumped during the early part of the pandemic, have benefited the most from the rotation. An end-of-quarter rebalancing of investment portfolios by institutional investors may be adding to the recent rotation from growth into value. The utility sector is trading at 18.3 times forward earnings compared with a price-to-earnings ratio of 22.1 for the S&P 500 index and 26 for technology, according to advanced analysis and investment intelligence firm Refinitiv's data. David Bianco, America's chief investment officer for DWS, which has an overweight rating on utilities, said the interest rates are still low, but utilities offer inflation protection because they would be able to raise their prices. Quote, utilities is our most preferred bond substitute, Mr. Bianco said. As of Friday, the S&P 500 utility sector had a dividend yield of 3.3%, the second highest among S&P sectors after consumer staples, and well above the 1.5% yield for the S&P 500, according to data from S&P Dow Jones Indices. Benchmark 10-year yield notes were at 1.66% on Friday after reaching a one-year high of 1.754% the week before. WeWork said on Friday it has agreed to go public through a $9 billion SPAC merger with blank check firm BAUX Acquisitions Corp, enabling the office sharing company to complete a stock market listing two years after its failed first attempt. Jeep, Chrysler, Dodge, Nissan, and Chinese electric vehicle maker NIO became the latest car makers to announce new production cuts as a result of global semiconductor chip shortage. This comes after several other companies, including Ford Motor, Honda Motor, General Motor, and Volkswagen, were among the automakers caught off guard by the global chip shortage. Forcing many to hold back production even as car demand picked up during the pandemic. Chip shortages have already cost the global auto industry an estimated 130,000 vehicles in lost production so far, according to research firm Auto Forecast Solutions, with the heaviest impact in North America, losing about 74,000 units, and Western Europe losing about 35,000 units. The chip scarcity is also a result of increased demand for consumer electronics industry as people worked from home and played more video games during the global pandemic. Sanctions against Chinese technology companies have also played a role. NIO now expects to deliver 19,500 vehicles in the first quarter, down from a 20,000 to 20,500 range previously. Ford had warned the shortage could hit its 2021 profit by up to $2.5 billion, while larger U.S. automaker GM expects the crisis to shave up to $2 billion off its full-year profit. GM and Japan's Honda both said this week that they would continue production suspension at plants in North America for the coming weeks. Swedish truck maker Volvo AB, meanwhile, said on Thursday the chip shortage would have a, quote, substantial impact on its second quarter earnings 
and it would implement stop days across its sites globally beginning in April. These production cuts have been reflected in the stock price of several of these companies. For example, shares of NEO, which makes the ES8 and ES6 electric sport utility vehicles, ended the day down 4.8% on the New York Stock Exchange. Now let's move on to general news and current events. On Friday, Pakistan's military leadership stated that it had successfully flight tested the country's upgraded nuclear-capable Shaheen-1A surface-to-surface ballistic missile. The test comes amid worsening relations with its nuclear-armed neighbor and traditional rival, India. Switching now to a slightly extended segment regarding another nuclear-armed state, we will, for a few minutes, uh, focus on how regional and international tensions with North Korea appear to be once again sharply on the rise after several years of relative peace and stability. A string of events over the past week have rapidly escalated the hostilities between Pyongyang and the U.S. So that we may better understand the context of the current events with North Korea, we will briefly review some of the historical facts that are relevant and have led up to the current situation. There are two annual joint U.S.-South Korea military field training exercises named Key Resolve, which takes place between February and April every year, and Foal Eagle, which usually occurs between October and November every year. These are two of the largest military exercises in the world and are conducted on the border with North Korea. The exercises involve regiment-level field maneuvering operations, flight exercises involving attack aircraft which are armed with live ordnance, and live-fire artillery military exercises. These exercises have been a major source of diplomatic and military friction between North Korea, South Korea, Japan, and the United States. North Korea has long regarded such military exercises near its border as a hostile mock invasion which threatens its territorial sovereignty. North Korea state-run media agency released its official stance on these war games in a statement issued years ago, which reads, quote, Dialogue and confrontation, peace and war, can never go together. We will sternly take self-defensive steps to defend peace and stability of the Korean Peninsula, end quote. Thus, the joint military exercises on North Korea's border have been used as the rationale for the DPRK's pursuit of a nuclear deterrent. Briefly, during the Clinton administration, as part of bilateral agreement known as the Agreed Framework, North Korea imploded its nuclear development and testing facilities and filled them in with cement in return for food, aid, and sanction relief from the U.S., However, after 9-11, the Bush administration canceled this agreement with the U.S. diplomat John Bolton, later writing in his book that 9-11 was, quote, the hammer I had been looking for to smash the agreed framework, end quote. Bush's policies toward North Korea remained consistent under the Obama administration and relations between North Korea and the rest of the world continued to deteriorate. However, as part of a diplomatic concession made by former U.S. President Donald Trump, 
The two annual joint military exercises were suspended and replaced by the Dongmeng Joint Military Exercises, which were scaled down and conducted away from the border with North Korea, as was announced in 2018 by the U.S. State Department after Trump's historic diplomatic negotiations with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. Trump called the Bush-Obama military exercises, quote, inappropriate and, quote, a waste of money. Although many mainstream U.S. media news outlets such as CNN, MSNBC, and even Fox News covered this diplomacy in a negative light, attacking Trump for, quote, getting nothing in return and, quote, legitimizing Kim Jong-un, the actual result of the Trump-Kim summit resulted in the following. A 40-kilometer no-fly zone that was established on either side of the DMZ, which included drones and unmanned aerial vehicles a five-kilometer buffer zone which prohibited both Korea's and the United States from conducting live-fire artillery drills and regiment-level or larger field maneuvering exercises or those by bigger units within five kilometers, a North Korea self-imposed nuclear missile development moratorium to not test a nuclear weapon or any intercontinental ballistic missile tests or technology development activities which North Korea honored. The removal of loudspeakers on either side of the DMZ, which blasted propaganda across the border. Furthermore, U.S. President Donald Trump became the first sitting president in U.S. history to set foot inside of North Korea, and South Korean President Moon Jae-in became the first South Korean leader to give a speech to the North Korean public when he spoke at mass games in Pyongyang. During his visit, seven-minute-long speech, President Moon said the two countries should become one as they were before the war. Both leaders received a standing ovation from 150,000 North Korean citizens when they entered the May Day Stadium in Pyongyang. Mr. Moon also signed a landmark agreement with Kim Jong-un during the visit, which came three months after Trump's meeting with Kim. However, after roughly three years of relative peace and stability during the Trump administration, tensions have been reignited after the Biden administration decided to once again conduct joint U.S.-South Korean military exercises on the border with North Korea, despite preemptive and stern warnings to refrain from these exercises from Kim Yo-jung, the current deputy director of the United Front Department of the Workers' Party of Korea and the younger sister to Kim Jong-un. This has set up a chain reaction which has led to a tit-for-tat over the past week between Washington and Pyongyang that have rapidly undone the diplomatic progress of the past three years. As a result of the resumption of key resolve on Sunday, March 21st, the North Korean military fired two short-range non-ballistic missiles off its west coast into the Yellow Sea. North Korea is not banned under the UN Security Council resolutions from firing non-ballistic missiles. On Tuesday, March 23rd, U.S. President Joe Biden played down the non-ballistic missile launch, saying that the United States did not consider it a provocation and calling it, quote, business as usual. The next step in the escalation came on the same day as Biden's remarks when Malaysia extradited a North Korean businessman named Moon Chol-myung, who was arrested in 2019 in Malaysia. Malaysian courts and authorities turned Moon Chol-myung over to U.S. custody and 
He is now in the United States. He is accused of laundering money through the U.S. financial system to provide luxury items to North Korea. This incident angered North Korea so much that it recalled all of its diplomats from Malaysia and cut off diplomatic ties with Malaysia completely. Malaysia is also the country in which Kim Jong-un's elder brother, Kim Jong-nam, was assassinated in 2017. Two days after Mr. Moon's extradition to the U.S., Japanese authorities first reported on Thursday, March 25, 2021, that North Korea test-fired two intercontinental ballistic missiles off the east coast province of Namhangyong. Under numerous UN Security Council resolutions, Pyongyang is banned from testing ballistic missiles. These are the first such missile tests of their kind since 2017. Both Japan and South Korea have condemned the test, and Mr. Biden has said that there would be, quote, responses if North Korea chose to continue to do more ballistic missile tests in the future. In 2016, when former President Obama left the White House, he stated that North Korea is the biggest foreign policy threat. On Thursday's press conference, which was Mr. Biden's first press conference since taking office, he stated that he agreed with Obama that North Korea is the biggest foreign policy threat to the United States. The U.S. Pacific Command, which oversees military forces in the Asia-Pacific region, said on Thursday that the test highlighted, quote, the threat that North Korea's illicit weapons program poses to its neighbors and the international community, end quote. Japan's Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga told reporters, quote, This threatens the peace and security of our own country and the region. It is also a violation of UN resolutions, end quote. South Korea's National Security Council vo voiced, quote, deep concern over the launches, the presidential Blue House said in a statement. North Korea has made rapid progress in its capabilities under Kim Jong-un and is believed to possess ICBMs, capable of reaching every part of the U.S. mainland. Facebook has frozen Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro's page for violating policies against spreading misinformation about COVID-19 by promoting a remedy he claims without evidence can cure the disease, a company spokesman said on Saturday. Police have made arrests late on Friday, March 26, in the city of Bristol in southwest England after protests turned violent with people throwing projectiles at the police. Police said, quote, projectiles, including eggs and glass bottles, were being thrown at officers. Protesters are also pulling at officers' shields while lasers are being shown in their faces, end quote, the local Avon and Somerset police said in a tweet, quote, we will not tolerate violent disorder, the local police force added. Thousands of demonstrators have converged on the city's streets, ignoring COVID-19 restrictions to protest against a new government bill going through the parliament that would give the police new powers and expanded authority to restrict street protests. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi arrived in Iran on Friday, March 26, for a visit that Iranian state media said would see the signing of a 25-year cooperation agreement between the two countries, which are both under U.S. sanctions. 
Final details of the agreements have yet to be announced, but it is expected to include Chinese investments in Iran's energy and infrastructure sectors. In 2016, China, Iran's largest trading partner and longtime ally, agreed to boost bilateral trade by adding more than 10 times to $600 billion in the next decade. Iran, meanwhile, is hardening its stance toward the United States and the European nations who agreed to the now-defunct Tehran nuclear agreement. A spokesman for the Foreign Ministry of Iran stated on Iranian state TV that, quote, this document is a complete roadmap with strategic, political, and economic clauses covering trade, economics, and transportation cooperation, with a special focus on the private sector of the two sides, end quote. On Thursday, China's Commerce Ministry echoed this sentiment with Beijing saying it will make efforts to safeguard the Iran nuclear deal and defend the legitimate interests of Sino-Iranian relations. China made these comments after it was reported last week that Iran has, quote, indirectly moved record volumes of oil into China in recent months, which were marked as, quote, supplies from other countries, not Iran, according to Chinese customs data. Furthermore, Chinese customs data showed that no Iranian oil was imported in the first two months of this year. Since late 2018, there had been a sharp drop in Iranian exports to China and other Asian countries. Despite U.S. sanctions, Iran's oil exports climbed in January after a boost in the fourth quarter of 2020. Several U.S. senators, including Marco Rubio and Bernie Sanders, have voiced support for the ongoing vote to unionize Amazon warehouse workers in Alabama, who are currently voting whether to unionize with the retail, wholesale, and department store union. The results of the vote should emerge next week, and it has already revived efforts to unionize hundreds of other U.S. Amazon warehouses and the Amazon-owned Whole Foods grocery store. Amazon is the second largest employer in the U.S. after retail giant Walmart. If the push to unionize in Alabama is successful, it could reverberate throughout the warehouse and retail sectors and possibly beyond. Now let's move on to community news and notes. Pirate Stacker has a new weekly segment called the Copper Report. It's very fun, interesting, and informative, and the information within it could be useful to you even if you don't stack copper or invest in copper. So I strongly suggest you go check it out. Pirate Stacker also does a weekly Friday night live stream at 1130 Eastern time. Aloha Stacker also does a live stream on Wednesday evenings and it's definitely worth checking out. I am planning on announcing a new and very interesting challenge on my channel this coming week. So stay tuned for that. I'm also once again considering moving this show and having it being released on Saturday night or Sunday morning. So please share your thoughts about that in the comment section. Who's Your Stacker does a talk show called A Stacker's Gathering each Thursday at 5.55 p.m. Eastern on his channel. This show is brought to you by Silver Conundrum's Quicksand. Let that sink in. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. Leave your thoughts in the comment section next weekend. I will catch you again on the weekly restack.
camouflage evil desensitized devils with red dots I shake our shims orders keep my team close to the Mexican borders with no pause and fallout stands get them supporters I'm 